0: This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture.
1: On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood, and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia.
0: You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert.
1: Alongside me, Matt Auer. Today we're chatting with Glendon Watts. Glendon and his family are seventh generation farmers running a sheep and cropping farm at Charlton in central Victoria.
0: In this episode, you'll hear the challenges Glendon faced as a young farmer battling severe drought. You'll hear how he finds a balance between farm and family life, and how out of the box thinking forced him to swallow his pride to secure his future in farming. Let's jump in.
1: Thanks for coming on the podcast and making some time. I thought I'd start with a few property specifics, so where the the family farm's located and what you get up to there, how long it's been in the family for.
2: Yeah, yep, no worries, mate. So family settled there, the Watts settled there back in the um, mid to late 1800s. So we've uh, been there ever since. Uh, I'll be the seventh generation out there. Property size now is about 2,500 acres location is between Charlton and St Arnold in central Victoria, a little district there called Ewan-Groon. The area, I guess, is traditionally uh, mixed sheep and cropping operation. Probably in the last uh, 15, 20 years, it's gone more to a cropping-dominant sort of situation slash operation.
1: You moved back to the farm around 2013. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were up to in the lead up to that move?
2: Prior to 2013, I uh, went to uni uh, down at Marcus Holden in Geelong, did the farm management course down there, which is a three-and-a-half-year course. My wife, or girlfriend at the time, now wife, finished her her uni and then um, we returned to the family farm and started 2013.
0: So back on the family farm, you finished college, finished uni. Talk us through what kind of farming operation you've returned to.
2: Dad had also been approached by another local want to come and take on this land of mine, I want to lease it out, you know, you're interested sort of thing. So he continued to expand or focus on the, lot, on, the, on the cropping side of the operation. Sheep were moved off the farm altogether. We were out of sheep in about 2009, roughly. The cropping banged on from there until I returned 2013. So kind of when I come home, we'd kind of been through all that rough truck with the livestock, really pushed into the cropping, expanded the, the operation two or threefold in cropping.
1: Can you tell us about the, the years that sort of follow immediately after getting back on the farm? Because I know 2014, 15, 18, they're fairly bad drought years. What were the challenges that you and the family were facing in those immediate years with you walking back onto the property?
2: 2013 was my first year back and it was a good, strong average year, like pretty, pretty happy with that, couldn't complain sort of thing. With me returning to the farm, we took on some more lease country, another 3,000 acres, which was predominantly grazing. Um so I took it on for in twenty thirteen for a three year contract. So stepping into twenty fourteen and it was an absolute shocker. It was like textbook up until about uh, August, September. Twenty fourteen, I think it stopped raining in about August. So the crops went from God knows what they could have been, uh, three three and a half, four tonne of the hectare crops down to, you know, half a tonne of the hectare sort of crops. So they got the input costs of a four tonner and you got the return of a half a tonne crop. So 2014 was an absolute skinner, really, really knocked us around financially. It's probably a good kick in the valley to me, to be honest, like young boy come home straight out of uni, full of bloody confidence, tail in the air, thinking that life is bloody glorious and that farming's amazing. And then you get a good kick up the butt with a year like that, get to know your bank manager a bit better, probably more than you wanted to know him, and just put your feet back on the ground, I guess. So 2015, I learned from what 2014 did to us or can do. So we went into 2015, changed a lot of strategies around, weren't so courageous, waited for, you know, different timing to do things as opposed to doing things. Initially, just go, yeah, it'll be right, go for it. Waited so we had a bit of moisture in the tank. Really started to focus on the livestock because 2014, 1,500 to 2,000 sheep uh, grossed more income than some 5,000 acres of crop. because So stocking rates typically really ballpark, you know, old school, one to the acre. And we made more out of the sheep than what we did out of all this damp cropping. There's the catalyst for change. There's your logic. There's what you've got to be aware of sort of thing. Got hit pretty hard in 2014. So when 2015 rolled around, it was time to kind of start to put some of what I learned at Marcus into action in terms of we need to start really spreading our risk and um, minimising inputs or making sure that we're not just throwing it with the hope that it's going to rain. We're going in with the, yeah, we're confident that the crop's potential is that we're going to do this. And the livestock, I guess I started to push the boundaries with them a little bit in that, one, that it was a challenge and I guess I enjoyed the challenge and, that's not going to hurt if it, it all pays off because we could do with a bit of a boost after the last year. So there's a reason we do what we do around here, I guess, historically, like, yeah, technologies and chemicals and that sort of thing change, but the overall demographic, there was a reason the boys had a mixed operation. There's a reason the old boys used to shear once a year. There's a reason they only join once a year. <laughs> but as I said, I guess, straight out of uni thinking the world's bloody unstoppable. I was unstoppable. I went and did these things. So it went along not too bad. We kind of got there, rain from rain and come to the spring and it just didn't rain again. So not as bad as 14. Crops were about a tonne to the hectare. I guess we played our cards a little bit safer, held our ground, and we kind of go, right, that's paid off. The, focus, the increased focus on in the livestock, playing our cards a bit safer with the cropping, that's where we need to be. That's now how we need to do it. So late 2015, obviously, was another really tough, dry year, and the lease was to come up in the start of 2016 for this new grazing block that we took on. Coming into the end of 2015, there was no water down there, so there's no pipeline, nothing's all runoff, but runoff was all been bugged. pasture was minimal. And at this stage, we'd grown the, um, the livestock operation up to about 2,000 marine ewes, roughly, uh, so 2,000 breeders. And, yeah, so the, the uh, opportunity was to release this property again, walk away from it, basically. So, yeah, the December-ish of 2015, we decided, you know what, it's all pretty nasty down here. It's not going to rain until probably it doesn't typically break until that April-May period. So we might not have any water down here for another four, five, six months. No feed for seven or eight months, neither month once it rains. So we decided to to get out of there basically. So we terminated that lease agreement which suited the the, the um, vendor. He was happy to do that. He wanted to put it on the market. Took all the stock back onto our our own farm. So now we're kind of... In terms of farm size or scale, that sort of thing, we've gone back to about five thousand acres. Still cropping every acre of the farm, so things really ramped up, I guess, in that sense. So yeah, 2016 was quite a good year. So we, we you know, sowed the whole farm obviously, and then we had the sheep in there and we were grazing the crops in that July, August, September period. We we're kind of grazing the cereals there for a period of time, then pulling the sheep back off and taking them through the grain. So it was quite an intensive operation all still wise, shearing every eight months, joining two times in three years and still running the full, full cropping side of the operation. And then in amongst all that, I guess I probably got my tail in the air a little bit again and we really ramped up our livestock, so we bought another 2,000 marina ewes. So now we're kind of at 4,000 sheep on Boy. really only on the home block, so really only on 2,500 acres and still cropping 5,000 acres, so you know, roughly 2,500 of the police country in amongst all that. So the sheep were running around three deep almost, but um, <laughs> in 2017, the season was okay, not amazing. So it was dry-ish and then that kind of, the light was in the tunnel that, you know, we get through this little autumn phase and we'll be back into the into 18 and things will be right in a way. We'll go with we'll do it all again. Then we etched into 2018 Really strong rainfall, so agronomists was keen to go hard with the canola. The multi peril insurance was was a thing then, or it's a new thing then, so we could go in relatively risk free in terms of the fact that we had it all insured. So basically, that's what we did. Three man operation at the best of times, and we were under the pump. And then the folks shot through as they, which is fine, you know, they're in their mid to late sixties. Um, they shot through for six weeks, eight weeks over to England. Left the operation with me in the same sense. If the home life started to come into it by this stage, my wife and I got married and we just had our first child, young Elwood, uh, in the June of 2018. So we got all these sheep running around, all this canola in the ground, uh, young baby at home. It was hectic as it was, and the agronomist kind of said, "Yep, all that canola needs a synthetic spray. Needs to be done the next you know, fortnight. Your window of opportunity is pretty tight with either frosts or dew at the moment. So you know, get it done as quick as you can. See how you go." In that 2018 phase, I was kind of partially in cost control, I guess, still kind of flowing on from what I learned in 2014. So I didn't want to pay to get a contractor in. So it was just, a you know, lay the years back, go a bit harder, get it done sort of scenario. So that then led to the air was blowing out because I would spray when I could and I'd do everything else either side of the spraying. So you're leaving home in the dark, getting home in the dark had a uh, a wife at home who had this young child that I guess like any challenging at times and a big change to what we're used to. And she was kind of getting more and more frustrated with the situation that I was never around. I was getting more frustrated with the situation that I couldn't keep up and I was kind of getting under the pump. And then, you know, to kind of top it all off, I guess 2018, the season was just only ever there by the rain we got sort of thing. We we're always looking. The wind was blowing from the north and it was about 20 degrees. I'm gonna call it early, but it just doesn't feel right. You know, it's blowing from the north. The sky's got that that pale bluey brown look around the horizon, and I think it's all over. You know, with that, I thought, well, you know, what? Now's the time for something's got to change. Basically, in that what we're doing in terms of the farming is probably not overly sustainable in terms of the capacity we're carrying, the stock, and the area we're doing, and the labour units we've got. It's probably not sustainable in the uh, the marriage side of things, you know, got a wife and, a, and now a young child who I'm not seeing. So something had to change.
0: What specific catalyst was there, if any, where you knew that things had to change and you had to change them pretty quickly? I guess
2: there wasn't there wasn't any one thing in particular that made me go, "Yep, change what we're doing." In terms of the production side of things, we were kind of at the at the stage that we were at capacity with our scale in terms of our opportunistic timings of things, you know. So to take on another thousand acres of lamb would be bloody we'd be late putting the crop it'd be late getting to a throat it'd be late getting into a harvest and we'd start to lose our income that in that aspect. With the livestock, we'll we we'll were playing with fire there, uh, in terms of the lambing and the shearing. The lambing was good for the first two to three years of that really high intensity lambing, but the lambing rates were starting to slowly starting to drop and that we're kind of getting back to the stage now that we're only getting sixties and seventy percent as opposed to nineties and hundreds sort of thing. So you're like, well, what's the point? We're doing all this for 120% lambing. And then you take in the price of the wool and how that balances in with things. Then you take in the additional lamb sales. And so that was kind of rolling around the back of my mind is that it might be sustainable for one to two to three years, but five to six to seven starting to be too hard on the stock. And the cropping side of things, the grain side of things is that you know we're at capacity there. We'd have to look for an additional labour unit if we if we wanted to try and expand the overriding picture of the underlying issue there was the machinery obviously it wears out and then you look at the personal side of things of the, the wife and the young child at home who totally understandable is quite frustrated with me because she'd see me at seven o'clock in the morning she'd see me at seven or eight o'clock at night mum and dad are getting to the age that they need to live a little bit i guess in the sense that the farm had been everything and everything that they've ever done is kind of a farm and raise our skids sort of thing. So I wanted to ensure that they could, if they wanted to, go for it, go around Australia, go overseas, whatever, that that they could feel they could just pick up and go, that, that they didn't need to be pinned down to the farm where they couldn't go. And I guess to kind of put another, the financial aspect on all of that is that we kind of, we needed to keep the production levels up there to make sure that we remained sustainable and profitable. And then I guess the icing on the cake was the weather. when it when 18 kind of started to fizzle and skip from one day to the next it was probably once i realized 18 is going to be a potentially was going to be a fizzler that i'm like righto not sustainable something's got to change here i've got those four or five other things poking me and maybe this is just the icing on the cake so it was at that point i think that that i realized that we had to do something
1: there's a lot a lot of tough calls for a young fella to make who were you speaking to back then like how were you making those decisions you, you're back sort of against the wall in a sense that you're running the property pretty hard but you're uh, you're coming up against it seasonally it's a lot for a young fella to take on like
2: I guess my dear wife was at the she was there and I would chat to her about things but mum and dad were obviously in terms of the farming sense I kind of used to run a few things past them but in the same sense, I used to try and protect them as much as I could from the, the financial side of it. So our farm consultant who was Ramy Bendigo, from that kind of led on that we started to do the annual review with those guys just around the business and how it was going and budgeting and that sort of thing. was against the wall, Matty, as you said, didn't have a great deal of options, I suppose, but had to do something. And, um, and I think it's, you know, you hear people say when your back's at the wall, you'll fight or don't corner a dog, you'll kill you sort of thing. Like, kind of felt that that's where it was at for me is that I haven't got a great deal of options here other than do what we keep doing or nut something out here and get innovative or whatever it's going to be, whatever it's going to take. As well, I've got a brother who's five years older than me. He's out of Melbourne. He's quite a smart man. So any you know any of my own spreadsheets or that sort of thing I did analysis, I'd flick it to him. Yeah, so typically it was ORM and once I'd kind of come to a conclusion or I thought this is worth implementing, I'd run it past my brother to kind of make sure my calculations were
1: correct. You're doing all the calculations behind the scenes and you're coming up with a few plans. What were some of the plans that you ended up implementing, I suppose, to get you to where you are today?
2: Yeah, as I said, there wasn't really the option there to to go back to 1,000 years and 2,000 acres of crop. You know, the business had grown and developed and taken on working capital and to operate at that bigger capacity. I guess a little bit, not hamstrung, but a little bit nervous or not wanting to increase the debt levels on the business or on the farm. There wasn't the option to go and jam a hundred grand into some intensive operation and have another source of income sort of thing. He kind of had to work within what was available to me. Where do you draw the line on what you want to do and what you have to do? And I think that was pretty tough, still is pretty tough. In uh, in a sense that you, you give up your dream, I guess, to make sure that the dream remains in the longer term. So that's when I thought, you know, what about if I uh, I walk away for a period of time, mum and dad gets their freedom and that they can come and go as they please. I'll walk away and do something else for a few years. We can, you know, we can do partially what I've I come across. You, you liquidate all those sheep, you let that lease country go, you sell off the majority of your machinery or your stock on hand or your grain on hand, that sort of thing, that all, all gets liquidated debt level of the business reduces significantly and then the old man could farm if he wanted to farm or whether we, you know, go the full hog and and lease the farm out for a period of time. And obviously, yeah, you know, that means that I wouldn't have a job, so to speak, and I wouldn't be doing what I wanted to do. But if it's for the greater good, deal the numbers on what happens if we sold all the sheep, cut back on our machinery, sold all the grain on hand, all that sort of thing, let that lease country go. And it looked to put us in a pretty good situation. But the things, I guess, some things would change, some things wouldn't change. But it would give mum and dad back that that ability to go as they and come as they please, so to speak. Give us the back the the comfort that the business is safe, and we're not kind of hoping for that average or better year to ensure we go forward and remain viable. Put the idea to the consultant. At this stage, mum and dad were overseas, uh, and we fine tuned a few things there with the consultant. Mum and dad returned overseas, and, and by this stage, it was probably early September, maybe late August in that period somewhere when they left. Things were kind of you know, crops are six inches high, green, things are wet. Come back, and there's that sky's got that pale blue ring around it. It's blowing from the north. It's, you know, low 20s in uh, August, or and the season was um, almost done. On uh, a bit of a debrief and a discussion around everything, I kind of put it to them, I suppose. As I said to you, Maddie, I'm a bit of a salesman in the fact of how I did my pitch. I guess I kind of went in with all the positives, butted them up a little bit, I suppose, before I dropped the line that we should lease the farm out and that I'll I'll work on farm for a few years. Once the initial shock had set in that they were they were quite receptive to the idea, once again I, was, I sent the spreadsheet to my brother. He was very excited. He thought it was a bloody reference idea, cracker idea, ticks all the boxes and gets things where we need to be. In the fact that the farm's still there, we can still you know, decide how much we lease out and we can still operate how we do. We can still kind of have that lifestyle that mum and dad still live there and still run a handful of sheep. In terms of the sale of the, the assets in terms of the machinery and the livestock that reduce the debt levels down to a, a low level so he thought it was a great idea so at that point it came where to for me basically i would have been 28 27 28 got a wife and a young child at home who needed the support i guess and with that came the change in in my fact that i had I'd have barely drawn a wage from the business the whole time I'd been there. I would do a bit of shearing, sell some meat, do a bit of contracting, that sort of thing, to kind of to kind of skip my way through. But now that I've got the young, young child that you just don't know what's gonna happen. And if something was to happen and you need money to help him or whatever, that that needed to be an option available to us, I suppose. So I kind of said at the time that I'm not gonna go and work off away from the farm for twenty bucks an hour position to come available for the branch manager here at Charlton uh, at the Vendigo Bank, which was like, you know, maybe the stars have lined up here, you know, that's kind of uh, finance was something I was interested in when I was at uni. That's in Charlton. I can still still live where we live. We can still do what we do. You know, maybe it's meant to be. So I was fortunate enough to end up in the role and here I am. Yeah, it's worked out. It's worked out quite well in in the sense that I've been able to get a job close to or still live in the same house but close to the farm When we're farming, always someone knocks up early and goes, oh, you bloody work and bankers hours. Well, I guess I literally do work bankers hours now, but that gives me the opportunity to get out to the farm and do what I do on the weekends and after hours and and that sort of thing.
0: So when you've made that decision to lease the property and you started looking for work off farm, how did that feel? Was there a sense of relief? Were you nervous? How did you feel at that point in time? I guess
2: it sounds a bit crazy maybe, but with change comes opportunity. The leasing out of the farm, I saw an opportunity there for me to do something and and generate some actual money and try something different for a little while, I guess, and whatever that was going to be, I didn't know at the time. But that was kind of my positiveness in it and to have that regular income, I hadn't had it before. So that was going to be another positive thing. Appointed the role initially. That was a lot of excitement and, you know, awesome. This is bloody great, you know. Kind of ticked a few boxes in that sense. But um, the day I left the farm for the last time, it's a pretty tough day. The real, reality of it all sunk in when I drove out the gates for the last time and that was pretty tough. Really, really tough. Still is tough I suppose. I guess the realisation that has all come to fruition that you know that I'm not going to farm for a few years and that Farm's not going to be what it was, and that um, you know I won't be able to work alongside dad, which some days is a challenge in itself. But at the end of the day, you always kind of think, you know, how lucky am I? Once I was in the role, I um, initially I was quite busy, busy with the with the learning of it all, systems, people, processes, all that sort of thing. It was it was full on, but I um, I continued to love the farm, obviously. And in this kind of October, November, December, January period, there's still everything at the farm still remained relatively the same because it wasn't leased until the to the March of uh, nineteen. So you know there was still the processes there of shearing, getting the sheep shorn before we put them on the market. There was still the what well, was very little, but the harvest of eighteen. You know there was still the general operation of things still kind of unwinding in that initial phase.
0: So obviously. Huge sacrifice, but you could see where you were going with it and there was a goal in sight. And now we're two years on, so jumping forward a little bit, but how have things changed and and where are things currently at with the farm and and with yourself as well and what you've been able to achieve in that time in your new role?
2: The wash-up of how the farm was leased out and how things all panned out there is that we – Leased it all out, but kept about 100 hectares of our own physical land that we own. I guess we did that to ensure that we can keep the bloodline of our use. Kept some machinery to assist with that that process as well. Got the contract to sow the farm for the for the uh, gentleman who's leased it. We we put the farm into like we sow all the farm for him. So, moving on to kind of where it's at now. I guess Dad takes care of the day to day sort of operations. Uh, I spent quite a lot of time. Doing the budgeting side of things and analysing things after hours, and that weekends are still typically spent at the farm doing something. If nothing major, then something minor, you know, might shift my we'll use or fix up that fence or that sort of thing. Um, and then something major, more so like you know, cropping that sort of sort of stuff. But then, yeah, after hours or after work at night or weekends, I'm kind of out there doing that as well. So I guess. I still kind of still got that connection back there and I still kind of get my fix of farming at this, so, so to speak, at the moment to kind of keep me, keep me content.
0: Yeah, and it didn't feel like when you were permanently on the farm, you had a whole lot of work-life balance having a new family. Has changing your circumstances enabled you to have more of that work-life balance and, and spend more time with your family?
2: Absolutely. The, you know, just as simple as that, not literally, but, you know, nine to five sort of thing at the bank, not allowed in here on a Sunday due to security. The um, Sundays are off already, which is which is a change. And even so, you know, after 6 p.m., we, we're we getting the kick out here, the security starts to go off sort of thing. So you're out of here by 6 o'clock at the latest, like, theoretically. So that side of things being really good that, you know, I come to work at 8, half past 8 in the morning, so I'm not leaving home at 7 o'clock. By the time I leave home, the young fella's up, he's had his break, he's ready to go for the day, sort of thing. So I'm not leaving the wife to do it all, kind of. And that's nice in the same sentence. Like, I really enjoy, he wakes up early, but uh, I enjoy, you know, hanging out with him in the mornings or watching some cartoons or having his toast or whatever. That's that's really good, which which wasn't happening. Yeah, there's definitely been a, an improvement, I guess, in the work-life
1: balance. I suppose I'm interested in in what the future holds because you, you're still only a young guy, early 30s, and... I don't suppose you're going to retire anytime soon. So are you heading back to the farm? I don't think anyone would
2: be surprised, I guess, when I return to the family farm. That is the overall goal. The timing's probably the the unknown at this stage as to when I go back. But before I go back, I guess there's a few things that need to be sorted out, a few things that I want to happen. As you've mentioned, Annie, in terms of the work-life balance, there's a few things that we need to get done, not get done, a few things we'd like to happen before, I return to that farming lifestyle of the weekends might not be free anymore. You know, it's not going to be a 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock anymore. That's kind of, I guess, we want to kind of get that, those three or four different areas ticked off before before I do go back farming. But that is absolutely 100% my ambition or desire slash dream is to be, the, be back on the farm and continue to farm. So yeah, you're right, man. He's not going to be able to hang up the boots of young mate. I will be. Uh, I will be returned to the farm. It's just a matter of when.
1: So the final question that we ask all our guests uh, is, what brand of work boots you're currently wearing? Now I know you worked at RM Williams, and I suspect <laughs> as a branch manager, you're probably wearing RM Williams at the moment. But I'm more talking about uh, in the sheepyards or uh, on the tractor.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, you're onto it, Matty. I've got a, uh, I've got a fair stash of R.M. boots from my days there. Um, the staff discount was pretty, uh, pretty enticing. <laughs> no, mate, on the tractor, I'm a blundstone man. I can't beat the old blundstone boots. They're bloody
0: good. <laughs>
1: no, that's great, Glendon, you should be really proud of your achievements. In what we, what we said, it was a pretty short space of time, and as a fairly young guy coming through your twenties, I, I don't think you could have ever for seeing the challenges that you would have been up against.
2: It's very kind of you both, I guess. So thank
1: you for that. Oh, brilliant.
0: Perfect ending. (laughs)
2: Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow.
1: If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, We've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now.
0: And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert.
1: And I'm Matt O, and we'll chat to you next time.